Eat Drink DFW from the Dallas Morning News is made possible by Central Market. Hey, North Texas food fans, welcome to Eat Drink DFW from the Dallas Morning News. Each week, we dish on the local restaurant scene, food and drink trends, cooking and shopping tips, and unpack everything that makes North Texas one of the most vibrant, diverse, and ambitious food scenes in the country. I'm your host, food editor Aaron Bookie, and today we're talking about our ins and outs for food and restaurants in 2023. And if you're observing dry January this year or any time, then stay tuned as we talk with food writer Kevin Gray to discuss the big boom in non-alcoholic drink options at local bars and restaurants. It all gets started right after this. Central Market is really into food. Like when we say cheese, it's in 12 languages into food. Butchers, bakers, and sushi roll makers into food. We're talking so obsessive about quality you can shop blindfolded into food. Central Market is really into food. Food. If you are too, then let us turn your shopping list into a treasure map. Get inspired, get adventurous, or just get a chef-made dinner when you've got more taste buds than time. No place makes every meal more amazing like Central Market. Really into food. Shop now at centralmarket.com. Welcome back, everyone. Be sure to go to dallasnews.com slash food after this for information on our show and lots of food and drink stories. And you can always share your thoughts with us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. Later on, we'll be talking about zero-proof drinks, but right now I'm joined by food writers Sarah Blaskovich, Claire Baller, and special guest Kevin Gray to talk about what's trending. So, Sarah, you wrote a lot of stories this past week that sort of had a Vegas link, and it brought me back to that whole Vegas to Dallas pipeline and how it's still going strong. Can you talk about some of those those restaurants? Yes, of course. It might be stronger than ever in 2023 and 2024. Now, what I have found is that there are many restaurants in Las Vegas, especially if you walk the Strip, as I did in 2022, Uh, that are either in Dallas or coming to Dallas. And so in early 2022, I wrote a story that just said like, oh my gosh, we happen to have quite a few restaurants in both cities. Not all restaurants started in Vegas that ended up in Dallas. Some also were in New York or LA or beyond. But I do think restaurateurs who are interested in Vegas for some reason are also interested in Dallas. And I know a lot of you are already rolling your eyes about this. (laughs) I had one CEO tell me recently that Dallas is all dry ice and sparklers. Hmm. And that's a quote. And I think a lot of us who don't have a lot of dry ice and sparklers in our regular (laughs) lives would say that us as Dallasites wouldn't agree. But there's this glitz, especially in certain parts of Dallas, that are mimicking what's happening in Vegas. And there's a corner of Deep Ellum that doesn't have a name for itself yet. It's kind of a neighborhood right off a of good Latimer near Elm where the epic development is. And then there's some clubs that are open and coming soon up that block. They're on the edge of Deep Ellum and they want a new name and it's they don't actually have one yet. But several of these restaurants are coming to that area. So we have Harper's there already. That's not in Vegas. But then we have Lanetta, which started in Vegas and is coming to Dallas next month in February. And we'll just see more of that sort of nightclub feel in that part of Dallas. There's a little bit of this happening in Victory Park, too. And then there are these bigger restaurants like Catch is a restaurant that started in New York. It has since landed in L.A., Las Vegas and Aspen. And we're getting one in Dallas in 2024. This is kind of a flashy seafood place. And it's opening at Maple Terrace, which is a nearly 100 year old historic development in Uptown on Maple Avenue that is being totally redone. But they're I think they're honoring some of the history of that building. Uh, That's an interesting one. Getting, you know, this kind of Vegas style seafood place in Dallas at an old 
historical Dallas building. Um, but just some other Vegas um, examples. Black Tap Burgers and Beer is coming to Dallas in 2023. We already have a sugar factory, which is a dessert place where you drink and eat with all the sparklers and the you know ice cream sundaes that cost 100 bucks and stuff like that. Is that like a Kardashian one? Yes. In fact, when it opened in Dallas, Nick Cannon performed uh, as course. a DJ, if yes. this helps. <laughs> um, we have Sedell's and Carbone in Dallas. Those are newish restaurants. They also have both of those in Las Vegas. Both of those have that kind of flair, just this, you know, heavy drinking, late night, big spending feeling. And don't get me wrong. We have this feeling in other cities. We do this in New York. We do this in L.A. We did this in Dallas without Vegas's help. But it was important to me to point out after just going to Vegas on a vacation last year, how many restaurants just seem to stream from that city to our city um, and watch it. Mark my words. We'll see more. Yeah, it's super interesting to me. And also the perception of Dallas by all by these, outsiders. Yeah, by outsiders and restaurateurs. They're like, Dallas is it. Let's go there. Because there's not a bunch of these restaurants in other cities. You know, they're either in like Vegas, New York, and then Dallas is like their third place. Yeah. Miami is another ah, okay, city yeah. that seems to follow this sort of, you know, connect the dots thing. But, you know, let's ask ourselves in a state that has several incredible food cities, we have not chosen to put these restaurants in Austin or in Houston almost any of the times they've come to Dallas so like what does that mean what do people think of us that these restaurants fit but then of course a restaurant only exists if it continues to make money so are we sustaining some of these restaurants you know a good example of a restaurant you can also find in Vegas and in Dallas is Nobu Uh, it's been in Dallas for a long time right I don't know if you consider Nobu a quote-unquote Vegas place but it is it is one on the list that is there and also here We've seen many more of these places that have come and gone. So that's another thing to think about. And so what about Salt Bay? Is that is that Vegas? Doesn't it feel like it's perfect yes, for that very. Vegas? <laughs> yeah, so um, Nusseret did not start in Vegas, but there is one there. And okay. of course, there is one here in Dallas. And we are all wondering how long mm-hmm. Nusseret is going to last in Dallas because Salt Bay, the celebrity behind this place, the Turkish butcher who cocks his wrist and sprinkle salt all over your steak and your table. He's not here in Dallas. He's the whole draw. I've met him in person. He has salted my steak. It was actually somehow kind of intoxicating. (laughs) Odd to say, but would I go there if he's not going to do that? Knowing from his Instagram that he's in some other city, which he always is. He's at the World Cup trolling everyone there. Yeah. Even though the World Cup happens only every four years, it feels like he's at the World Cup constantly. (laughs) Yeah. So what is a restaurant like that without its celebrity chef? He's also not in Vegas all the time. Are people still going to the one in Vegas? Probably. Because they saw him on Instagram. Yeah. I do wonder about the sustainability of these restaurants here in Dallas. And if restaurateurs are kind of overestimating how much Dallas wants these restaurants and how well they're doing, you know, like Sugar Factory, places. Like that. I think it is an important point in time for us who live here in Dallas to also be really thinking about what we want and the kind right. of places that we want to dine at and what message we want to send to other parts of the country of how we like to dine here and what we are interested in. I would put a lot of money down um, to say that I think if we sent out a survey of if people are looking for sparklers and dry ice at most of their dining experiences, the answer would be no. You know, it is a little sad to see some of the changes happening in the Deep Elm area at the same time we see the Green Door closing. You know, like mm-hmm. that's that's a place that has been a big part of Dallas's identity and sp- specifically in the Deep Elm area. And change happens, right? It's part of it, especially in the restaurant industry. But it does feel a little bit like uh, we're at 
kind of a pivotal moment of yeah. figuring out where do we go from here? It's like, is there scene. room for all of these places or are we going to lose something in favor of the of these kind of places? So moving on to something that was really big on social media this week was the Portillo's news, which finally opened, Sarah, right? Portillo's <laughs> opened. The first one in Texas opened in the colony right off of 121 near the tollway as part of the Nebraska Furniture Mart development. So billionaire Warren Buffett, fueled a lot of the money for that whole thing, Portillo's joined it. And, oh my gosh, people from Chicago, people not from Chicago, hot dog fans, Italian beef sandwich fans, this is a whole moment. I think it could be the largest restaurant opening, certainly of the quarter, in terms of just like fervor and emotion. Yeah, and Kevin, so you are from the Midwest, so you have some experience with Portillo's, right? Yeah, so most of my family lives in Chicago and the surrounding suburbs, so I have spent a lot of time at Portillo's over the last two decades. And... I mean, it's good, honestly. Like, I'm still um, a Lushers fan through and through, and I'm so sad that that's not the Chicago hot dog we're all eating. That said, it is exciting that Portillo's is here. Honestly, I'm a little bit more likely to fly to Chicago to eat it than I am to drive to the colony. It's a lot more expensive, (laughs) Kevin. Like, a lot more expensive. But you get a little bit more out of it, unless you're shopping for furniture, I suppose. (laughs) But I like Portillo's. I mean, I think their their hot dog has a good snap. I would say you have to get it loaded. Otherwise, there's really no point in eating a Chicago-style hot dog. So that includes tomatoes, celery, salt, sport peppers, pickles, onions. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they also do the the beef sandwich, which they're quite famous for, um, I get both, you know, you, it's like, you why get both. choose? Like yeah. at the same time? Yeah. At the same time, you're not going to Portillo's to get a salad. You know? <laughs> well, so it's funny because I think Texans who weren't familiar with it were like, okay, hot dog place Portillo's is coming to Texas. And it did start 60 years ago as a hot dog stand. That's like, it's history. Not that a lot of Texans knew that, but as I was interviewing the CEO, I'm like, are you a hot dog place or are you an Italian beef sandwich place? I sort of like, you must choose. And he picked Italian beef sandwich, but I think he too would hope that p- people will follow the Kevin Gray model of Portillo's and order both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think that that's just a smart move in life. Um, if you see two good things, get them both. And I think at Portillo's, that's the best way to decide which side you're on, you know? Yeah, I like this. I'm very excited about the hot dogs. I'm not like a huge Italian beef sandwich person, but I will try it. Maybe not yet. Maybe not yet. Maybe I haven't had the Portillo's Italian beef sandwich. I will say that you could have a Portillo's hot dog and then like go about your day, go back to work, have a productive day. If you have Italian beef sandwich, that's all you're doing. That's those are your plans (laughs) for the day. Just go. And if you have both. (laughs) Yeah. Then take the next day off. I would really like to try Portillo's with Claire and Aaron. Yes. So let's make a field trip up there. Let's eat it together and we can talk about it. And so when we posted this story on social media, Instagram and so forth, like it totally blew up with comments. I think a lot of it was about the chocolate cake. Yes. So the chocolate cake is interesting because I don't associate most order at the counter restaurants with dessert at all. Right. But they're pretty proud of their chocolate cake, which either comes just as a slice of chocolate cake or they take a half a slice of that, mix it with ice cream and puree it into a milkshake. I've tried neither. And so when we go on our field trip there, we're going to need to, I guess, try both. Try both. And then yeah. we're going to have to take three days off, Kevin. Um, <laughs> by the time we hot dog, we beef sandwich, and we try two different desserts. Yes, I agree. The The shake sounds really interesting to me. I don't think I've ever had a shake with ice cream blended with an actual slice of cake. The bit of advice that I've been given in advance, and take this for what it's worth, is that don't use a straw. Because, <laughs> like, the cake gets stuck in the straw, which is oh. just kind of a gnarly experience. I believe it's a spoon milkshake experience. Um, So another story that Sarah wrote that got lots of attention this week was about diners, drive-ins, and dives. This is a silly story. 
Right. So what happened is a website named Mashed took all of the places that diners, drive-ins, and dives went, and I think there's more than a thousand of them across the United States, and they decided to pick the best one in each state, and I believe that's in all 50 states. So what this article purported was that Pecan Lodge in Dallas was the best diners, drive-ins, and dives restaurant. Now, what seemed to be floating around was that Pecan Lodge was Guy Fieri's favorite restaurant in Texas. Mm -hmm. And I want to be the journalist here who says out loud that that's not what this mashed website story purported, but it kind of got, it kind of got shortened and flipped a little bit. I want to say that Guy Fieri has been to Pecan Lodge and I don't know if he loves it or doesn't love it, but if you watch the clips, he loved it in that moment because he's always loving what he's eaten. (laughs) Yeah. If he's at a diner, a drive-in, or a dive. <laughs> but, um, you know, Pecan Lodge is a legendary Dallas barbecue place. It was at the beginning of this new age barbecue wave. And when Guy Fieri visited it, it was at the Dallas Farmer's Market. And, like, special gold stars to all the OGs listening who went there when it was at the Farmer's Market. I did, and then when everybody else heard about it, we were all mad. Yeah. We were like, that was my barbecue place. I didn't think anybody heard about it. Texas Monthly heard about it. Guy Fieri heard about it, and it was all over. Now Pecan Lodge has a restaurant in Deep Ellum. Still good, um, but it is now part of a very competitive barbecue space. So if you ask somebody even in Dallas alone what the best barbecue place is, who knows if they would pick Pecan Lodge or something else. But this one article says that Pecan Lodge is the best restaurant in Texas that has been previewed on Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. And uh, it's up to you to decide if that's really right. Just as a fun aside, we hired Pecan Lodge to cater my rehearsal dinner. And we had the hot mess and we had a bunch of barbecue and it was our way of showing our friends not from Texas that this is what Texas barbecue is. And I was married in 2013. So Pecan Lodge was on the top of the world and at the top of my heart then. Yeah, that hot mess was definitely like a defining Dallas moment. It's really good. I think it's still really good. Thanks, guys. Stick around. We're going to talk about how zero proof drinks are kind of sexy now. That's right after this. Central Market is really into food, like fish flown in so fresh it still has jet lag into food. Our sourdough starter has been around since grunge was a thing into food. We're talking more prime cuts than a greatest hits album into food. Central Market is really into food. If you are too, then we're the HQ for you. Whether you're a make-every-recipe-in-the-cookbook foodie or a my-favorite-recipe-is-reheat type who just digs the delectable, no place makes every day more delicious like Central Market. Really into food. Shop now at centralmarket.com. Welcome back, everyone. It is still dry January, even if you've already given up on it. Or is it is it moist January, Sarah, no. that you call it? No, no, no. Ew, that word. Ew. <laughs> Sorry. No. It's something like that. Damp January. Oh, okay. The, the cheater's way is to do damp January, which is you pick and choose when you drink and do not drink, which is what adults do in life anyway. Right. But those like me who are declaring dry January, but then who also have girls weekend and bachelorette weekend. Oh, yeah. Are opting for damp January. Yes, but I it's do definitely love it, not moist January. Anything's it's, better than moist it's January. Damp. It's okay. now forever moist January. Okay, sorry. It's so good. <laughs> okay. Anyway, we are now joined by food and drinks writer Kevin Gray to talk about how much zero proof and non-alcoholic options have grown over the last few years, because I know you've been covering this quite a bit. Now seems to be a great time to be sober. Well, more recently, people have been um, adhering to either dry January or damp January, never moist January. (laughs) (laughs) So it does seem that people are 
abstaining more often than before. Um, uh-huh. There's actually a pretty interesting report just came out from Bacardi that showed more than 50% of consumers are planning to follow either dry January or sober October, which is oh. the same thing, but in the fall. Ooh, and, I love that rhyme. And it rhymes. <laughs> Ooh, it's good. And uh, 40% of people said they plan to drink more non-alcoholic and low ABV options just in general throughout the year. So it's definitely trending in that direction. What is the term for it? Is it non-ABV, non-alcoholic, zero proof? We've been kind of trying to figure out what the proper term is. I think they're all accurate. Zero proof is often applied to spirits. Okay. Um, whereas, you know, non-alcoholic might go in front of beer or wine, but it's all really the same thing. Because I know a lot of people don't like the term mocktail. Sure. So I think we've all been trying to find like another term. I agree with you, Aaron. And why is it that we don't like that word? I don't know. It just sounds like... It sounds childish to me. It does. Yeah, it's a cocktail you give children. <laughs> Yeah, it's a Shirley Temple or something. It's like, we can do better. We can have a dirty Shirley outside of moist January if we want to. But you know, none of us are gonna. Right. And so what's really driving this? Is it the wellness craze, younger generations? Yeah, there does seem to be a trend that Gen Z and millennials are drinking less today than they did a decade ago. And it changes a little bit depending on what report you look at. But most people do say that they're just embracing a more healthy and wellness focused lifestyle. I've kind of read like Instagram has really encouraged that because everyone has their phones out ready to videotape you at any bad moment publicly that people don't want to sort of lose control because they're going to get videotaped and go viral. I do think we've all talked about how if there were so many Instagram videos and, and videos on phones in general when I was in college, that would have been not so great. Exactly. Yeah, we had to take pictures with a camera and then upload it to a computer. Yeah. Just to share it. <laughs> or for funsies, you'd have like the disposable camera and then you'd have mm-hmm. to wait two weeks depending on if you hadn't taken all the pictures yet. I think part of it too is that there are more options now. There are better things to drink if you don't want to drink alcohol. Because it used to be like, you know, if you went out with friends, it was like, oh, I'll have a Topo Chico with lime and that's my only option, you know. But now I think you can you can gather with people and have a drink that's actually good and exciting to drink and not feel like you're missing out. I am not a huge drinker. And so for me, I am much more excited to go out and order something that is not alcoholic than I used to be because the options are just way, way, way better. And I remember, I think I've told this story before, but back when I was pregnant, like nine, 10 years ago, we went to a nice restaurant here in Dallas. I was like, do you have anything non-alcoholic? And they straight up brought me a smoothie. I mean, it was beautiful, good smoothie. But like, it was a smoothie. It's not okay. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm not an actual child. I'm having a child. (laughs) But yeah, I think the options are so very sophisticated now. What's interesting to me, Kevin, and I think you've seen some of this, is that it's a lot of the big alcohol brands that are actually noticing this trend and coming up with stuff. Is that correct? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I remember growing up, like there was a single O'Doul's beer in my parents' (laughs) fridge for like my entire childhood. I think it was left over from a holiday party, but that was like the only option for seemingly decades, right? But in recent years, we've seen the emergence of so many more non-alcoholic brands and products and some big brands like Whistlepig just put out a new old fashioned that's actually made with sunkissed orange. Uh, no, yeah, and it's, it's I didn't know it's, about this. It's like an alcohol free rye whiskey. Wow, made into an old fashioned. Martini and Rossi just put out a couple of two new aperitif style bottles that that are non alcoholic. There's also 
you know, Lagunitas beer has a non-alcoholic beer. There's a whole brewery, Athletic Brewing, which mm-hmm. makes really solid beer just without the alcohol. So the, yeah, like to Claire's point, the options are just so much better now that if you want to drink booze free, you really can without sacrificing as much as you used to. There's a place in Uptown called Fount Board and Table, and they have a whole spread of non-alcoholic wines and spirits. And it's the kind of place where you could go grab a bottle and like show up at a friend's house with this beautiful bottle of non-alcoholic wine and feel like you are contributing. That's exciting to me. And I'm waiting though for Dallas to kind of pick up on what's starting to happen in other cities with fully non-alcoholic bars opening. Mm -hmm. Because we've seen some pop-ups here, but I don't know of any brick and mortar bar that has opened. Do you guys? No. No, No, they've been sort of adjacent with cafes and, and things like that. What have you seen, Kevin? Yeah, in Dallas, I don't know of a single bar that does it. Uh, Portland, New York, certain other cities do have um, no proof bars. But here, at least the retail component has gotten a lot better. Like now you can walk into Foxtrot, which has an excellent non-alcoholic selection, different aperitifs, sodas, non-alcoholic wines, bar and garden. On Ross has a pretty cool selection of non-alcoholic spirits and wines. So the options have increased substantially, even inside of bars. But Bars still are making their money on alcohol. All right. I have to go try both of those places, Kevin, because (laughs) I'm doing damp January and I'm really interested in non-alcoholic wine specifically. Claire, it's funny that you mentioned Fount because last weekend my husband went to Fount and bought us five bottles of Oddbird non-alcoholic wine from there. And I did exactly what you said. I took one to a party. It was for La Dame de Escoffier, which is a group of women in food in Dallas. So this is like people who super care about wine. And I walked in with a non-alcoholic bottle. I took the painter's tape that I found in the drawer and wrote, this is non-alcoholic on the front and stuck it in the champagne bucket with 12 other bottles of champagne. And that's what I drank for the afternoon. And a couple of other people who were not doing dry January had a sip of it just because it was there and they were kind of curious and it, it sparked conversations. What I'll say about the Oddbird wine, um, and I'm no kind of wine taster, but I do drink a fair amount of wine, is that I liked it a lot if you're doing something else. So I I poured a glass on Saturday night while we were playing games with my kids and with my husband's aunts. And it was fun just to have a glass of pink bubbles on the table that I'm sipping from while we're doing something else. If I were there to pay attention to that wine and think about it as a sparkling rosé, I might find that it's not the same as some of the better ones I've had. But so often when we're drinking, we're also doing something else. We're talking, we're listening to music, we're hanging out, you know? And so like there are so many drinking moments I'm reflecting that you just want something in your hand. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't have to be alcohol. And I don't know if I knew that until I tried this wine that pretended like it was wine pretty good. Like you want something interesting. And I think people who are into food and drinks, they really want sophisticated flavors and something that tastes grown up. Not smoothies. Yes, not (laughs) smoothies. So can we talk about low alcohol? Because I'm also doing damp January, but I also love to take the edge off. Like I don't like to be drunk, but I love the bourbon and hug like is there anything we can drink that will kind of get you there without getting you drunk yeah i mean it's hard to beat the bourbon hug i think we all agree that <laughs> i love that phrase julie it's very warm <laughs> it's and staying embracing. forever uh, but yeah so there's a lot of just lower proof options out there um aperitif style drinks which i'll keep going back to often are made with lower proof spirits so for instance an aperol aperol is 11 percent alcohol by volume your average bourbon is 40% or more. So if you're having a drink that is based more on an aperitif or digestif or a drink that might be stars of vermouth as the base instead of a spirit, um, a good example would be 
lately everyone's been talking about Negronis and then the Spagliato. Mm-hmm. So a Negroni is gin, Campari, and sweet vermouth. The Spagliato is Campari and sweet vermouth, but instead of gin, it's Prosecco. It's still three alcoholic options, but none of them are spirit. So each one is lower alcohol. So that would be a low ABV drink, relatively speaking. I wonder if you could use my non-alcoholic sparkling wine that I tried Mm -hmm. in a drink like that to bring it down even more. Yeah, I think you absolutely could. And you could think of that like you might look at other bubbles like club soda. Sure. Tonic. Yeah. You know, as long as the flavor profile works, absolutely. Throw some Oddbird on top. And so how have you seen bars get more creative with this? So in reporting um, this dry January story that I've been writing, I spoke with a gentleman named Vincent Granite. He's a manager at Monarch, the, the fancy bar and restaurant downtown. And he said that bartenders there really take the same approach to creating non-alcoholic drinks as they do alcoholic ones. So they select ingredients that are flavorful and balanced. And he just mentioned it's become so much easier in recent years because of everything else that's on the market. For instance, they have a couple zero proof drinks on their menu right now that feature uh, a spirit brand called Liars. And they're using that as the base. So it's essentially a zero proof spirit. And then, you know, they can top it with ginger beer. They can mix in um, a syrups that they're making. They can, you know, they, they have one drink actually called the Icy Road that they're serving over a rosemary and hibiscus ice cube. Mm. You know, so it's like they're Pretty. finding ways to get flavors into a drink without using alcohol. And with flair. Yeah, you can still have a very grown up, sophisticated drink without the alcohol. I feel like part of the bar experience, especially at a place like Monarch, is the glassware and the way they pour it. And perhaps if you're drinking a bourbon cocktail, the ice cube that they put in there. And I hadn't thought much about trying to, you know, bring that coolness Mm -hmm. into a non-alcoholic drink. I love that, especially if you're going to be serving these at your house. Yeah, and you can still play with color and garnish. So there's still a lot that you can do to present a really pretty interesting cocktail or mocktail. (laughs) And so what other, so what other bars are doing this well and really taking it on? So Paradiso has a section of their menu with a couple of non-alcoholic cocktails that I think are really thoughtful and satisfying. And they still give you that cocktail experience because of the way they're presented. Also Anise inside the Dre Hotel, they have a section of zero proof drinks Um, One I actually really like, it's essentially an Arnold Palmer riff, but Mm. they're doing iced tea and lemon with some herbs de Provence. And they're making it like this really floral interpretation of the Arnold Palmer. So, I mean, that's a drink that you can get. Looks good, tastes good, booze free. I just want to say, I think this is great because there's so many reasons why people don't drink. So many reasons. And it's exciting to see that places are becoming more accommodating and more comfortable for people who don't drink and don't necessarily want to be in an environment where your option is to have alcohol or sit there with your cup of water. Yeah. And I like that there are more options and it's becoming more accepted to go out and not drink because before I'd be like, well, why aren't you drinking? I mean, I'm Gen X, so it was like a thing. Yeah, there's something wrong. (laughs) Or you're secret pregnant. Yes, exactly. As an idea for ending, I wondered if everybody could give an ingredient or a flavor that you really like in a drink. And it can be anything that you've had in a cocktail or in a non-alcoholic drink. Um, Maybe just as inspiration for somebody thinking, what kind of cocktail should I make at home? I'll go first. Spice. I like anything, any liquid shaken with a Thai chili or a jalapeno in it. And then you strain it out. So you just get that heat at the end without the actual pepper in there. So that's any drink that has some kind of spice in it. I think I'm drawn to. And there's lots of non-alcoholic drinks you can do that with. Kevin? I really like bitter botanical flavors like those you would find in an Amaro or a better sweet vermouth. Yeah. 
can I just steal Kevin's? Because <laughs> yeah. that's what I like too. But I really like any kind of herbal flavors in a drink that tastes like you went out to your herb garden and pulled a bunch of stuff yeah. and threw it in a drink. Like that's what I love. Just really fresh tasting. Like I'm kind of a fan of gin because I think that lends itself to really bright flavors and fresh flavors. So so anything with a bunch of herbs in it, I'm down. I'm what do you big, think, Claire? I'm a big cucumber fan. It's perfect. Cucumber non-alcoholic drinks. So those are actually the best non-alcoholic drinks. I like that clean. I do. Mm -hmm. Taste. I do too. Mine is Worcestershire sauce. Ooh. (laughs) Because I will drink a Virgin Bloody Mary all day long. Is a Virgin Bloody Mary just a gazpacho? No, because Zing Zang is what I will okay. always, that's my go-to. That's if my favorite. you think favorite. about it, right? What's Zing Zang? It's the brand of Bloody Mary mix okay. that Julie prefers. There are lots of good ones out there. I like Papa Scott's, which is made by somebody in DFW. Oh. But a, a good Bloody Mary mix really matters. Oh, yeah. To how good your Bloody Mary is going to be. Well, I thought those would be inspiration. For anybody listening, you know, if you like a Virgin Bloody Mary, if you like a, a very fresh, clean cucumber drink, if you like a spicy drink, if you like a botanical drink, all those can be made while you're working today. Yeah. And so we'd love to know what you guys are drinking for dry January. Where are you mixing at home? Where are you going? Please email us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. Stay with us. Coming up in our next segment, we'll be talking about our food ins and outs for 2023. That's right after this. Hey, listeners, this is Christopher Wynn. I'm the arts and entertainment editor for the Dallas Morning News. And that, thankfully, includes the food team that you're listening to right now. What I love about this beat is that food stories are people stories. Restaurants say a lot about who we are, our culture, and the health and well-being of our communities. If you want to help continue supporting this good work, it's easy. Just subscribe to the Dallas Morning News and become a member. You'll find a special offer just for listeners at dallasnews.com slash listen. Welcome back, everyone. I'm back with Sarah, Claire, and Kevin to talk about our food ins and outs for the year. This is always super fun, especially the outs, but there's so much going on in the food and restaurant scene in Dallas that I think um, we're all going to have some good ideas. So, Claire, you want to go first? Oh, okay. (laughs) I'll just go with my ins first. Mm -hmm. Ins, printed menus. I think people are kind of getting tired of starting their meal with their heads in their phones. Prefee and tasting menus. I think we're going to start seeing a lot more of those. We are already starting to see restaurants moving over into that. And I think there's few reasons for it. One, I think it's financially better for restaurants. It's easier for them to plan for. Also, I think we're going to be seeing that more here in Dallas because of rumblings of a Michelin presence. Mm -hmm. Fish sandwiches, I think, is one. I'm kind of tired of fried chicken sandwiches. Oh, right. Um, And we've seen places like Loro adding these onto their menus. I think we're going to see more of that. Um, Tiny counter restaurants. Rent is really expensive and it's really hard for restaurants right now to make it work. We've seen tiny little restaurants opening up like La Bodega in Oak Cliff. It's a little counter restaurant. You come up and order. There are a few little seats you can sit down, but the focus is the food. Uh, I think we're going to see more of that. Employees first, not customers first. Yeah. We're already seeing a shift in that in restaurants. Staffing is really, really hard. And employers, I think, are starting to make big shifts that are focusing much more on their employees' well-being rather than focusing solely on the customers and what the customers' wants are. Right. And then communal dining. I mean, just look at the butterboard. I mean, that, oh my God. that had yeah. a whole moment because I think people are really yearning for more communal dining experiences. And then for my outs, restaurants designed for Instagram. 
You can smell it a mile away when a restaurant, a new restaurant is opening. And if it's being done for this kind of influencer world. Um, You know, when they have that wall with the neon sign, like that's where you're supposed to take your one photo. The neon sign. (laughs) It's where you're supposed to hold your your specialized drinkware up in front of to take a picture. Yeah. Yeah. Metal farmhouse chairs. These were everywhere. And they're starting to taper out. You Mm -hmm. know, those like metal round-backed chairs that were like in every restaurant ever and are so uncomfortable. I'm over them, ready to see them gone. And then this one is just really personal for me. (laughs) (laughs) Not having changing tables in men's restrooms at restaurants. Yep. When I go to a restaurant and there is not a changing table in a men's bathroom, it says all I need to know. I like those, Claire. There's a lot to unpack there with all of those, but I think I think those are great. Um, Sarah, what about you? I am excited this year for casual French food. Ooh, yeah. I think that in Dallas, decades ago, a lot of people thought that fine dining was only French food, and it was very fancy. Mm-hmm. And I just like the idea of us eating casual French food in a bistro. We have a little bit of it in Dallas, and I think we'll see more of those restaurants opening in 2023. I'm really excited by seafood restaurants. I feel like we used to talk about, you know, well, we don't have very much seafood in Dallas or we shouldn't because we don't live by the sea. Right. I mean, you can get any fruit or vegetable out of season year round, whether you should or not is a different thing. You can get um, seafood flown in from Japan for some of the finest omakase restaurants. And we have two really good ones in Dallas. And I think that seafood focused restaurants will see more of I'm excited by Greenpoint coming to Knox Street in Dallas, but there's going to be others. And then um, yummy, healthy food. We all kind of are focused on eating healthy or thinking about it, especially this time of year. And every restaurant now, I think, is thinking about how to make healthy food beautiful and cool and delicious. And that's not new, but it's interesting to me. Things I'm ready to see gone, um, high and mighty wine lists. So, so many restaurants have all kinds of wines on them that I've never heard of and don't know anything about and don't know how to talk about. And I think a lot of people listening probably feel that way too. You know, like I talk about food and drink for a living and I do not like reading most wine lists because I don't really know what to do with them. So uh, why can't we talk about wine in a more normal way in the ways that we talk about beer and in the ways that we talk about cocktails? I also think this year we don't need steak on every menu in Dallas. I have been to some restaurants recently even where the steak was just subpar and it wasn't a steak restaurant. So do the thing you're great at. And we are not out of towners in our own city. We live here and we know that not every person eats beef for every dinner. So if you're not a steakhouse and you don't make a great steak, my suggestion is don't put it on the menu. And the last thing I'd like to see out in 2023 is describing restaurants as, quote, residential. And people, do we, do we live there? Yes. So people I know and like, I like I do. have done this recently. And the idea of residential as a adjective to describe a restaurant is that it feels lived in, right? It feels like you're in someone's fancy library. It feels like you're in someone's rich home. And this is a positive thing. And I, I think the reason why residential quote unquote looking restaurants have happened is because we used to dine in places that didn't look like home. And that was on purpose. You know, a fancy restaurant has white tablecloths and high ceilings and gold on the ceiling or whatever. That's not what your house looks like. And that's good because you go to restaurants infrequently. And when you do, you don't want to feel like you're at home. Restaurant culture has changed so much. We want our our restaurants apparently to be quote unquote residential. So I'm not suggesting we don't want that. I just don't want to call it that. Yeah. Are you seeing that in press releases or just people that you know who are dining out? 
Press releases, yes, of course. Some of the most annoying words are used in press releases. I think we all know that. <laughs> but I have heard chefs and restaurant owners talk about their places as being residential. And the thing about it is in both a press release and if I'm standing in a restaurant and it's being described as residential, it's usually correct. Do you think so, they just don't want to use the word cozy? Yes, maybe. Although I think residential, it's like this whole bucket of kind of restaurant. Mm, yeah, It yeah. is upscale, but there's books, right? <laughs> that aren't red. The seats are cozy. The colors are maroons and navies and emerald greens like you might have in your office. You know, that's residential. I think it's a whole motif that's very popular and shouldn't stop being popular. I just want to talk about restaurants as being quote unquote residential. Yeah. Restaurants are restaurants and my house is my house. I think along those lines, one of my outs is actually restaurants with kitchens open to diners. Like I know this is like a huge thing and I kind of liked it in the beginning. I was like, oh, it's cool to see everybody working and all of that. But I think we kind of need to go back to more mystery. Usually restaurants that are like that are also really loud. And it is true. The din of the dining room. Yeah. Like I kind of like a quieter dining experience where I can focus on my food and the people I'm dining with. That's one of my outs as well as butterboards. Butterboards is a big out for me. Yeah. I don't think we should have done that in the first place. (laughs) I think it's out for all of us. Okay, good. And so my ins, one thing I really, really love that I've seen trending lately is the whole sort of retro nostalgia in certain restaurants. Like I know that Double D's bar is very retro. It's awesome. We went to Birdie the other day at the exchange and they had a bunch of He-Man toys and other stuff from the 80s like hanging around. And I was like, oh, I love this. It just like taps into my my inner child. Also at the, at the exchange, they have um, Saturday morning ice cream which is soft serve ice cream mixed with cereal and they're all named after like Saturday morning cartoons from the 80s. And I'm just like, okay, I love that. Other ends are just sort of like flavor things that I've seen. I know in the past we've seen everything bagel, everything and cacio e pepe everything. So I think the new one is going to be French onion soup flavored everything. Yum. Which I'm I'm here for. Love French onion soup. Like I've seen just like caramelized onions and everything um, with cheese. I've even seen like New York Times did like a here's a French onion soup pasta dish or here's a French onion soup this. So I think we're going to be seeing that everywhere. Oniony stuff, which I'm here for. Also, I think tangy is a big word for snacks. Um, I recently did a tour at Frito-Lay and they talked about trends and flavor trends and things like that. And of course, spicy is huge, but tangy is kind of the new thing. And even the CEO was like, I'm not here for tangy, but everything is tangy now at Frito-Lay. And so Kevin, what are your ins and outs? couple of ins. Uh, first off, I'd say I want more neighborhood restaurants, uh, and that's not to be confused with residential restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> Although they could be both. They can be both, and sometimes they are, but I'm talking about places where you could reasonably eat on a Tuesday or Wednesday. You could maybe even go, you know, two, three times a month. The menu changes, it's casual, but the food's still good. Places like Cry Wolf, Homewood off Oaklawn, Beatrice and Oak Cliff. Mm-hmm. These are the kind of places I good actually ones. want to eat at. Um, also, ends for me would be vegetable forward dishes. Ooh. I love when you see a menu that's got some shared plates that are not all starch and meat. And I love starch and meat, as you might remember from my Portillo's conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but I love having some shareable vegetable dishes. Um, I would also like to see somebody bring a chopped cheese to the menu. Ooh. Dallas does beef so well. We have burgers everywhere. Why no chopped cheese? Can you explain what chopped cheese is? This is a more of a New York bodega <laughs> okay. thing. Uh, ground beef. And cheese chopped up on the griddle, folded together, served on bread. It's delicious and gooey and hot and awesome. Gooey. Oh, my God. 
And for me, you know, outs, I think um, I'm a little tired. We were talking earlier about the Vegas and Miami and New Yorkification of Dallas dining. I'm a little tired of out-of-state interlopers coming in and uh, sucking up all of the dining space here in Dallas. I just kind of going back to these neighborhood restaurants, that's what I want more of. So I would like to see more homegrown restaurants here. I'm also out for me is the $16 to $20 cocktail at a place that has no business serving $16 to $20 cocktails. Good one. There are bars in town that make excellent drinks and you know why it costs so much. It's the quality of ingredients, the amount of time they're spending even before you get to the bar to prep and make these drinks, and then the execution and presentation. Not every place is doing that. And if you can't do it, that's totally fine. Serve great beer, serve great wine, make a couple classics. But you don't need to serve an $18 cocktail just because everyone else is. Yeah. And to that point with the cost of everything, I think that's going to be a big topic this year in restaurants. I know we all want to support local restaurants. We know it's tough out there for them with the cost of ingredients and all of that. But there are places they are still just so overpriced. So I'm here for things that are of value and people just really being thoughtful about things rather than just doing something quick and dirty and slapping a huge price tag on it. Yeah, I want to say I agree with you, Aaron. And I want to say as a as a thing to look forward to in 2023, there are so many new interesting restaurants. You know, we are people who follow that and visit a lot of these places just when they open. And we'll talk about them all throughout the year. But wow, get ready for some really interesting stuff that's going to happen in 2023. Some of which Kevin is from out of town and some is homegrown. And uh, we'll weigh that mix too and see how it's affecting sort of food culture in Dallas and how it makes us feel about our food. Maybe we'll hit that in the middle of the year and then again at the end of the year to see where we're at when it comes to Dallas food culture. Yeah, I love that. We also want to hear from our listeners about what your food and restaurant ins and outs are. What do you want to see more of in 2023? What do you want to see less of? So please email us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. And that's all the time we have for Eat Drink DFW this week. Thank you all for joining, and I hope we've made you hungry for more. We also want to hear from you, so share your food thoughts, favorite restaurants, or tasty recipes with us at eatdrink@dallasnews.com. The show is produced by Julie Fisk. To stay up to date on every episode of this show and hear more from our newsroom, just follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please rate the show and give us a good review. Find links to everything we do at dallasnews.com slash listen. You'll also find a special membership offer there just for listeners. For the news, I'm Erin Bookie. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Eat, drink, DFW from the Dallas Morning News is made possible by Central Market. 